Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome in a Wednesday morning. Today is the day for the NFL players who want their long-term contracts. Otherwise, they're on the franchise tag. Uh, Dak Prescott, you know, you're the Cowboy quarterback. You're probably the biggest name. Derrick Henry, though, that's a pretty big name. He just ran for 1,500 yards for the Titans, powered them all the way to the AFC title game. He'll be on a, uh, what, like $10.2 million. Uh, and, and it'll be interesting to see how this works out, but it just seems like it's hard to cut a long-term deal not knowing how big a hit you're about to take. You know, are there going to be fans in the stands? It seems like the answer to that is no. If there are, it's going to be a dramatically reduced number, and that's going to it's going to cost a lot of money. Not just in the lost ticket sales, but now the signage inside the stadium isn't worth as much. You're obviously not making money off concessions. You're obviously not making money off of parking, and and then there's just the fact: is it going to be a 16 game season? Will it end up being 12 or 14? Could you actually lose games and lose some TV money? I would think that the NFL will do anything they can, including moving the Super Bowl and stretching it out, uh, stretching out the season into March if necessary to get all the games in. Normally, moving the Super Bowl is a major problem. But the thing that makes that such a problem is there's all the parties, there's all the hotel rooms that have been booked, and that's all pretty much out the window, right? Are they really, are we going to have a vaccine in time to uh, have all of that? Hopefully, but if we do, then they don't have to slide it. You know, if they have to slide it, then you probably don't have the vaccine and the crowds are limited or non-existent and they probably can. So I think the NFL will have a full season, but there's still going to be a lot of money along the way that they are not going to be able to claim. For starters, we know the owners make a lot of money off the preseason games because they don't pay the players. And at least two of those are going away and, and maybe all four of them. So I get why the owners aren't signing these guys to long-term deals. There just isn't enough, uh, you know, there, there's just too many unknowns to commit yourself to uh, a nine-figure contract. Let that sink in. A nine-figure contract. <laughs> Two commas, $100 million, let's go. So some of these guys will be playing on, uh, on one-year deals, and I think that'll be the... Uh, now, some of them may come to a, a deal. You know, you may decide as a player, hey, I'm, I'm just going to take a re- reduced number. I'm going to get the guaranteed money I can get. Uh, but I think the number's floating around 15 or so as they try to... Uh, try to figure this out right up against the deadline. And I do think the one thing that we're seeing a trend here is that, you know, pro sports has more money, fewer people, and they're adults, and they're going to find a way to play. And college sports are going to be much more cautious and not go. The high school sports, I think that'll really be community to community and really reflect there's, there's so much less travel. And I know some teams go out of state, but that's just pretty rare, and you just skip that for a year. You know, there's a lot of travel in college, so you got... You got teams moving from areas where the virus isn't raging to areas where it is raging. And that's a problem. You know, um, you know, California right now has got issues. Well, okay, California's got seven teams in the West Coast Conference. You got four teams in the Pac-12. You got three teams in the Mountain West. You know, it just impacts so many leagues. There's so many schools that have to travel in there to play. You know, it just goes on and on. Now, with the pros, you know, baseball and football, could be impacted by that if a governor says, nope, we're not doing any of that. Nobody's traveling. Everybody's quarantining. Uh, You know, it could be impacted. Basketball going to the bubble 
on the one hand, they seem to have escaped it. On the other hand, they seem to be sprinting towards it because the numbers are huge in Florida. But it does seem like uh, they've had less issues with the basketball bubble than soccer has had with MLS, where they've had more positive tests and a, a couple of teams pulling out. All right, DJ and PK, coming up next, we're going to talk some college football. We're going to go under the assumption that there's you know, going to be a season that looks yeah, reasonably like normal, although we won't have the non-conference games for at least the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. Uh, Brett Ciancia does the pick six previews and he's always done Utah because in the Pac-12 he's added BYU in he only does the power fives and he's treating BYU like a power five and we'll talk to him about how he views BYU and why and where he thinks the youth stack up in the Pac-12 which school's pulling away a little and which school's pulling away a lot and we'll get to all of that next stay with us Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. We're joined now by Brett Ciancia from Pick 6 Previews. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Brett, good morning. Yeah, DJ and PK, thanks for having me back on. I'm excited to talk to BYU. You've got the Utes and the Cougar previews out. It looks like you got the Utes at 27th, BYU at 39. And uh, we'll get to the Utes here in just a second. You write some interesting stuff and recap what you've thought of them over the last two years. Uh, but let's start with the Cougars. Kind of hard to figure out playing as an independent, this uh, mix of Power 5 and non-AQ schools. But you have them down as basically a middle-of-the-pack Power 5 team. How did you come up with that? Yeah, exactly. So this year um, I added BYU to my Power 5 preview book. I mean, they have, certainly have the history for it. Uh, their schedule is kind of a mix, like you said, between Power 5 and non-AQ. Uh, and, hey, you guys, BYU has a passionate enough fan base to deserve a spot. So I added them to the book. Uh, it was fascinating, you know, really digging in. I always had a passing knowledge of BYU, but really digging into their history all the way back to Lavelle Edwards and, and the you know the quarterback factory and all that. Uh, but Specifically for the last couple of years, uh, I, I applied my game grader formula. You know, that's a, a, a deep formula I created. It's a lot of uh, you know, scoring differential, yardage differential, uh, per play metrics, explosiveness. Um, you know, it goes deeper than nor- the normal box score. And long story short, uh, BOU grades out middle of the pack, power five. Last year they were 39th out of 66. Um, and in terms of the pack 12, that would be right around sixth out of 12 last year. So. Um, and it, and it kind of makes sense when you think about it, what, what they produced on the field there. Um, above average against the non-AQ teams and a little bit below average against the Power 5. They're uh, 17 and 27 against the Power 5 since going independent. So, um, so yeah, they were 39th last year and uh, looking for another actually bump this year. So from your perspective, what do you like about the Cougars? Yeah, so a couple things. Uh, coming into last year, I thought that would be the, the jump offensively. You know, you return Zach Wilson, uh, re- returned a lot of production offensively. I thought that would be the jump. They did improve in 13 of 14 of our metrics, um, but really it wasn't the program-changing offense we thought we'd see. So 
I think this year you might see that 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 game change, that program changing offense. Um, third year with Zach Wilson, but really what I'm most impressed about is that offensive line, um, and and that's coming off of a very injured you know injury riddled season. There, it still ended up being one of the best units, having to go through 16 different line combos. Um, you know, all that all that said, it's all back and healthy, and uh, should be a veteran and strong unit. So I think um, you know with a strong run push. Uh, Brady Christensen's a star at left tackle. You have him back. Um, you know, a, a trio of running backs with experience. Matt Bushman back. There's a lot of pieces to like, and I think the offense will be carrying BYU this year. In Bushman, do you think they have an NFL tight end? Or if not, do you think they at least have a tight end who's a mismatch in most games? Definitely mismatch, and we'll see about NFL. I mean, it's very rare for a tight end to lead the team in receiving, not just once, but three straight years. Uh, probably will take it a fourth straight year this year. Uh, part of that, I think, is by scheme design, just how BYU spreads the ball around so much to their receivers. Uh, it's, it's spread, you know, pretty thin across, say, 10 or 12 receivers, and that's not a bad thing. It's just um, you're getting a lot more receivers involved than most rosters just have three or four guys out there on every snap. So a little bit of that, but no, he's a game changer. Um, I think you lean on him over the middle, and uh, I think BYU takes a step forward offensively. Yeah, I think in order for them to take that step forward offensively, Zach Wilson has really got to come up big. You know, he's shown flashes of being really good, and he's had some injury issues that he's had to battle. But in my mind, he's set up to have a pretty good season. And if he can deliver on that, then the Cougars should be uh, not just fighting for bowl eligibility. They should be a little bit more than that. Do you see it differently or the same? Um, yeah, I mean, within BYU specifically, yeah, Wilson, he, he definitely showed some bright spots. I remember back in 18 with the, the perfect bowl game. Um, and then, but then, you know, it's been ups and downs because even against, against Utah the one year, he built that 27-7 lead, couldn't finish it off. Uh, you saw it at times last year. I mean, he's definitely a playmaker. He's elusive in the pocket. Uh, but just got to get over the hump and finish off some of these games. But in terms of bowl eligibility, that's certainly up in the air, not because of anything BYU-related, just because of all the cancellations. Um, just looking at it quickly, the first four games are already canceled for BYU, and that's a factor of the Big Ten um, and the Pac-12 secluding themselves to going just uh, conference only. So those four weeks are up for grabs. Um, I mean, if you're looking at it as, as wins and losses, they're they've got to be easier opponents than what you would have faced at the Power 5 level. So uh, it should be more W's coming in, albeit less you know, Power 5 wins. Defensively, when they face teams that throw the ball, what do you think of the pass rush and what do you think of the secondary? Yeah, well, pass rush, this was something I was pretty fascinated with because um, I didn't just dig into 19 and 18. I went back you know, 10, 15 years of my numbers. And, uh, and it, and it kind of matches what you, what you'd watch. It, it used to be a very aggressive, um, you know, blitz heavy scheme under, Bron- uh, Bronco Mendenhall. Uh, think of Kyle Van Noy up there, third in the nation in sacks back in 2012. And, uh, they averaged, they were always a top 25 in tackles for loss and sacks as a unit. Uh, you know, they, they, they flew to the ball, they tackled well. Um, that hasn't really been the same over the four years of, uh, the Sataki era. Um, in terms of my explosiveness, you know, in the plays, making plays in the backfield, my negative play rate, uh, they average number 100 in the same category, which was once a top 25. So I know that's not everything to a defense, but certainly it looks different. Uh, so I think, though, yeah, so, you know, with a 4-2-5 base scheme, uh, a lot of linebackers back, 
Um, and again, just like the offense, there is returning production. So I think you'll see the numbers move up a little bit. But really to make that next step into, into becoming a top 25 program year in and year out again, I think the defense has to return to the, the Mendenhall levels. Uh, Pac-12, you've got Oregon. Not only do you have them, obviously, as the top team, but you've got them in the playoff. And I'm wondering, uh, you know, they've, they're loaded on defense, defensive backfield, and Thibodeau, I think, is probably the best player in the Pac-12. That's just my opinion. So they certainly have a lot in Verdell on offense and, and obviously Sewell up front in the line, uh, at the line. But they got a new quarterback. Uh, and, you know, he played a little bit last year behind Herbert. What are your concerns there? Yeah, the concerns are probably you know, replacing quarterback and replacing four offensive linemen. Uh, you touched on it. Really, what led me to Oregon as a playoff pick and the Pac-12 winner is the defense. I mean, it was top five last year. They returned ten of eleven starters, and that one spot is actually being filled now by not just one but two five-star prospects coming in a linebacker. So, uh, what you're seeing at a program level is finally the first time since the 1990s a program in the Pac-12 is passing USC. Uh, in the five-year recruiting ranks, uh, it's Oregon, and uh, and further, it's not just the, the Chip Kelly, you know, speedy gadget offense that comes up small in the big games. This is built in the trenches. This is trench first. This is offensive line and defensive line first. Mario Cristobal, a line guru, uh, building it from the inside out. So, yeah, you lose four uh, linemen there, but the four the four guys stepping into those shoes were higher-rated recruits coming in. Um, I know recruiting, you know, the recruiting rankings aren't everything, but with a proven staff and developer like this, I'm pretty confident. And lastly, real quick, a quarterback, uh, yeah, it's Tyler Shuck coming in. He, he was behind Herbert last year. He kind of impressed at times in fall camp, but obviously behind Herbert, you're not going to play. So staff likes him. They also brought in Anthony Brown, a two-and-a-half two, two and a half or three-year starter from Boston College, uh, and, and not to mention the best offensive coordinator hire in the cycle with Joe Moorhead. So I'm pretty confident. Um, and, I mean, I, this wasn't factored into the book logic back in May and June, but now with Ohio State off the schedule, this is looking like a, uh, a possible undefeated season. So how big is the gap? How wide is the margin between Oregon and the rest of the conference? Yeah, that's what kind of led me to the pick, because when I wrote this thing, I, I had assumed Ohio State was going to remain on the schedule. This was, you know, that was factored into the logic. I kind of had Ohio State winning that. So I said, all right, even if Oregon drops the Ohio State game in September, are they strong enough to go 9-0 and in the Pac-12 and, and, you know, run the conference? And this year, I think that they are. Um, a couple of things led me to that. I mean, some of the usual Pac-12 teams that are up there fighting for 8, 9, 10 wins are going through transitions. Uh, Stanford's down again. Washington State loses Mike Leach uh, in an offseason that's very short to, to install a new offense. Uh, those two are down. Washington really has struggled offensively. Utah goes through a major roster change, and we'll touch on that. Um, and then the last bit on Oregon is that their three hardest conference games, they all, they're all in Austin Stadium. They're all at home. So great schedule boost there. And, uh, yeah, I think the gap this year is wide enough for them to potentially go. Now, no, you never see that in the Pac-12. You see these teams beat up each other pretty well, uh, and that's a testament to the depth of the conference. But uh, this year I do think that Oregon has distanced themselves. I like how you have Utah second behind SC. I think most folks look at SC as the number one team in the South. And you have the Utes second. The thing that I find interesting is you respect them to the point where you've got them second, which is pretty good given the fact of all the losses they have. But you've only got 
on your first team offensive defense. You only got one Ute, and that's Keithy at tight end, who really had a breakout season, and I'm excited to see what he can do with Ludwig in his second year under Andy, because Andy sure put him in position to succeed at a high level this past season. So even though you've only got one out of uh, your first two uh, first team offense, first team defense Ute, why are you giving them as much respect as you're giving them? Yeah, well, I think it starts with coaching. Uh, now, it's, you might be tired of hearing this, but this is definitely an unprecedented offseason, uh, cutting out the 15 spring practices, all the summer camps and workouts. Uh, now it's even looking like a, a shortened fall season. So uh, what usually goes into my, my prediction logic is obviously my advanced stats, but then also a ton of film study, uh, calls with coaches, calls with coordinators, spring games. And that last bit, spring games, has been cut out, obviously. So without that tool, I've had to rely a little bit more on coach continuity and, and staff continuity and scheme continuity because there is some truth to that rolling over year over year. Uh, and who better than Utah's defense at that? Um, they're actually number one in my player development metric, which looks at the raw recruiting rankings compared to what they produce to the pros. Uh, it's amazing. Just a decade ago, we're talking about a Mountain West program, and now they're leading the conference in draft picks. Yeah, that's Utah. So, um, yeah, it'll be an extremely young offense. Or, sorry, an extremely young defense. Uh, this is a unit that definitely would have loved the spring ball. Uh, but an, enough of a proven track record with, with, with Morgan Scally and their entire staff defensively that I think they'll produce a, a competent defense. Now, offensively, you touched on the two guys that made the first two teams. There's also three more youths on my third team, Pac-12. So you have over half the offense there uh, accounted for on the all-conference teams. Uh, it's, it's star power um, at, at the receiver core and tight end, which I never thought would be true with Utah. Uh, you know, even three or four or five years ago, that was a, a roster hole at receiver. So a lot of playmakers now, they can go three or four deep there. Um, and I think that they're poised to, to weather the storm of a transition, uh, you know, from Huntley and Moss better than they used to be with, uh, now with Andy Ludwig again. Um, I run these 10 year coordinator grades on offense and defense and looking statistically at his impact at Utah last year. And also his impact from leaving Vanderbilt is also as fascinating. They, he had them pretty solid, and they tanked without him. So you can learn a lot from the coach where he's at and where he left. And uh, Andy Lovelace was one of the best coordinator hires of the year last year. So when you look at the Utes going forward and you uh, look at them reloading on defense, how long does that take? Yeah, so I think uh, the front seven will be okay. It's, it's the secondary that's very young. And that's not to say that they'll that they have star players there. I just think that the extreme extreme youth uh, without a spring ball and without most of the summer is going to be tough. It's it's not uh, it's not rocket science there. But uh, yeah, you lose all four starters, uh, and then making things worse, they had um, R.J. Hubert was the next guy in line, the next potential star, and he uh, tore his ACL in the Pac-12 title game, and uh, it's going to be out for a significant time. So extremely young there. I know they had uh, Clark Phillips was their highest recruit ever. Uh, that's a top 40 kid. It was originally an Ohio State commit. Um, but, again, that, that's a true freshman without a spring. So it's going to be tough in the back. Um, but up front, I mean, hey, they re- you guys know this. They reload defensive line every year. Um, this will be no different. you got Mika Tafua back, uh, Max Tapai. These are guys that were in the rotation. Um, you know, they, they rotate eight guys deep on defensive line. So, uh, yeah, it'll be young, um, but I, I trust this, this staff more than most. So, uh, you know, I'm not looking for a complete uh, collapse. I think it'll be a, a step back. How could it not be from last year, which is could be the best defense in Utah history? Um, but it, it won't be a uh, it won't be a collapse here. 
You talk about Utah number one player development in the conference, and you got them pretty high nationally too, don't you? Yeah, they are actually number one nationally in my player development metric. Uh, they're number six in win conversion, and, and you know these aren't. Um, most people just talk about the recruiting, and I know it's important. Uh, can the recruiting people miss on one prospect here and there? Sure, but I think when you start to stack. 20 players in a class and then five classes in a row, you're talking 85 scholarship players. I think they're more right than wrong, but that's just the starting point. You need to be able to, to recruit towards your scheme. You've got to be able to install the scheme and, um, you know, have these players hit the weight room and the strength and conditioning programs and the whole bit. Uh, so what, the, what these metrics look at is taking that recruiting number a step forward. And, you know, because a lot happens, obviously, on those three and four and five years on campus. So how is the staff producing those raw talents and on February signing day into NFL draft picks in April. How are they uh, developing that in, onto wins on the field in the fall? Uh, so I, I've wanted to find a way numerically to look at some of these buzzwords. And, um, and yeah, Utah, as you'd expect, just like the Wisconsins and Iowas uh, of the country, who maybe not maybe don't recruit as highly as their peers on signing day, they outgrind them on the field. They're physical. They win games more than their more than their signing day, you know, peers. So Utah is definitely in that category, and that that should pop off the page in the book. So, how big is the gap between USC? I mean, you got to rank somebody one, somebody two, somebody three. But how big is the gap between USC and the rest of the division, especially Utah at second? I think it's it's decent. I mean, it's definitely noticeable. I have USC seventeenth overall. Uh, and then Utah and Arizona State just outside the top 25. So you have a ranked team there. I think what really stood out to me is how much they return on offense. Um, the way that Graham Harrell was able to come in there overnight, and this was a coach I got to talk to in the preseason. It was fascinating how, how quickly he brought um, you know his, his air raid attack in. Of course, this is the quarterback from Texas Tech 10 years ago. Um, and, uh, yeah, he came in to tailback you, as it was once known, and, and turn this thing into an offensive juggernaut. So, all those receivers are back except for Michael Pittman, but, I mean, you have four, four All-American caliber guys at receiver. Keaton Slovis did this as a true freshman last year. So I think the offense will remain possibly the best in the conference. Uh, defensively, and this is the issue with USC every year as a, you know, as a preseason prognosticator, uh, you know, trying to relate their recruiting rankings, like I said, um, onto the field because they always recruit at the top. I mean, they're always up there, um, but they, they struggle getting it, you know, producing wins and producing stats out of it. So the, the, the issue will be defense. Uh, the raw talent's there. They brought in Todd Orlando from Texas, defensive coordinator. He had some ups and downs there. Um, but, you know, how quickly will they be able to, to maximize the talent on defense? It happened overnight on offense. Uh, can they do it on defense? But uh, with that uncertainty, I have them outside of the top ten, but high enough to win the conference – or high enough to win the division because of that offense. Sometimes there's a sleeper in the Pac-12, not always, but sometimes. And if I were to ask you, who would you look to as far as this year being a sleeper, who would you pick? Well, I guess sleeper's a tough term. At Washington, I have um, you know number 16 overall, second in the North. Um, I really put this in the book, though. They're, they're an offensive coordinator away from being a playoff team every year and like a playoff caliber, you know, fighting for a playoff spot every year. I mean, their defense... Um, as you guys know, I mean, they're, they're trotting out top five units every single season. Uh, and going through this coaching change, they promote Jimmy Lake, that defensive genius, up to head coach. So they retain that defensive backbone there. It's just a matter of can they get this offense working. It's been brutal the last two years, um, ever since Jonathan Smith took over at Oregon State. So, I mean, if they can, if they can turn out a dynamic offense, 
uh, and start putting up 35, 40 a game, this would be a very complete program. Um, so I don't know if that's for 2020 sleeper or just in general going forward, but if they get that offense woken up, then uh, that, that's a great program. Uh, another quick sleeper could be Arizona State. Uh, I see them in the top 25 of a lot of, pro, uh, a lot of uh, publications. They're right there for me as well. Um, you know, I think that Herm Edwards, remember back to when he was signed, uh, you know, all the, all the Twitter people ran over to Twitter and started joking about that hire. I like to wait and, and look back two or three or four years later, put my game grader formula on it and see how they really did. And he's doing awesome down there. I mean, it, it was a great hire. Uh, at the same time, everyone crowned Chip Kelly the hire of the cycle and look at that collapse. So, uh, yeah, fast forward to 2020. It's his third year here. Jaden Daniels is an excellent quarterback. He showed that as a freshman last year. Uh, a lot of late game drives and wins. Very clutch. Uh, the, the, the issue with Arizona State will be a double uh, a double coordinator switch in a short offseason. They're, uh, they're scrapping a 3-3-5 defense scheme for an NFL-type scheme, bringing in Marvin Lewis. You'll recognize him, the old Bengals coach, uh, is taking over as defensive coordinator. So some staff change, some star power change uh, with, you know, Benjamin and Brandon Ayuk gone. But, uh, but still, I think a strong enough team that could push for 8, 9, 10 wins. So Stanford had a great run, three Rose Bowls in the first five years for Shaw there in his tenure. He had five double-digit win seasons in the first six years, but the last three haven't been the same. They haven't even really been close, uh, 22-17 and 17 over the last three years. Is that coming back? Has the ship sailed and it's a transition in the north? What's going to happen with Stanford? Yeah, I think uh, it's both things, actually. I think that um, it's definitely a program transition. It's no longer your 2010 Stanford that was bullying teams around for seven yards of carry and just, uh, you know, ball control, big offensive line. Uh, that's all gone. Um, now, it, it was, it'll was it be better than last year for 2020. Last year they went through a ton of injuries at quarterback, at offensive line. Uh, I know they get three starters back that were injured during the season offensive line-wise. So it'll be a, a decent offensive line. Um, but on a higher level, yeah, this thing has kind of collapsed from what we saw. The, their window of opportunity, I think, is closed, especially with how Oregon and Washington are starting to recruit now in the north. Um, the difference being that the defense has really fallen off. Now, that was just always a steady unit uh, back under Derek Mason when he was at the at defensive coordinator, uh, even the early years of Lance Anderson. But once, once Solomon Thomas left, I think it was 2016 or 17, you saw this defensive line just really, you know, fall into itself as a, you know, a shell of what it what it used to be, and um, they're getting pushed around week in and week out. And I think actually, you always see you always see transfers, but and it's usually younger guys. But I think two of their defensive line starters transferred. So weird stuff happening. I think 17 transfers out of Stanford. So keep an eye on them as uh, as a total wild card this year. They'll be, they'll be better than 19, but. This is no longer your top ten caliber, you know, annual North winner. Uh, that's that, that's certainly gone. Well, Brett, we appreciate the overview of the Utes and the Cougars and the Pac-12. Thanks for uh, coming on for a few minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anytime. Um, appreciate all, all you know all the interactions with the BYU fans now on Twitter. I, I've been interacting with Utah for a while, but now adding BYU to the, to the book has been great. Uh, just seeing these two fan bases go at it, I, I love it. I love the passion. You don't really see that on the on the on the coasts or in the pro city. So, a uh, ton of respect for both fan bases. There's Brett Ciancia from Pick Six Previews, and I really find what he said right at the end there very interesting. About he's a Pennsylvania guy. You know, he's not based on this side of the country, and he says you don't see the passion for this on the coasts. 
Well, the coasts have most of the people. So the coasts have the pro sports, and pro sports overshadows the college sports. And you get to the middle of the country, and in the south where there aren't as many, there's some pro teams, but there aren't as many pro teams, and you see the colleges really take off. Well, that's what happens here in Utah. And a guy sitting there in Pennsylvania looks at social media and knows it. He just knows it. And all the high school kids know it when they come in and they see a game and they see the crowd and they see the people just absolutely going nuts. All right, when we come back, Steve Cleveland, our chief storyteller, with a classic story. Uh, we will get to that, but also a word of warning from California. What I was talking about earlier, you know, uh, about how uh, you know there's four Pac-12 teams, there's three Mountain West teams, there's seven teams in the West Coast Conference in California, and you know the governor can have a say on what the college sports season looks like, and you know what does this mean for college basketball? Will there be non-conference for college basketball? Will we start in January with the conference season? Uh, we've already seen the junior colleges push everything back to January. All right, we'll talk with Steve Cleveland next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. We are joined now... By Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, our life insider, our storyteller. Steve, good morning. Good morning. So, so Steve, it seems pretty clear cut that when you go to the bubble, you got to follow the rules. But one guy <laughs> accidentally wandered out of his room, so now he's got to quarantine some more. Another guy apologized. He accidentally crossed the NBA's campus line to pick up a food delivery. He's going to be quarantined for an additional 10 days. That better be really good food, because I can't imagine a 10-day quarantine. I think I'd go nuts. Now, you haven't been in the bubble, but how easy is it to get players to follow simple, straightforward rules when another anonymous player is saying, uh, he knew what the rules were. They explained them. <laughs> well, we all remember being kids, I guess, <laughs> when our parents told us when we left the house that we weren't supposed to do this or that, and somehow, some way, we did a bonehead mistake, made a bonehead mistake, and did what they told us not to do. Uh, you know what? Uh, it, it's interesting, uh, <clears throat> having coached it at pretty much every level other than the professional level, uh, you're going to have a degree of disobedience and just... Uh, not thinking type mistakes. I have I haven't been that involved with guys doing really really stupid stuff, <laughs> but I have been involved with with guys making mistakes. I think the key thing when people do make mistakes is that the entire organization understands that it's that's not acceptable and uh, that you know, it just in terms of sustaining a culture and a program is you're letting letting players get away with certain things and others not. Man, that, that kind of discord can just destroy a team. Uh, but, but certainly, uh, we, we've all had situations where, uh, you know, guys miss bust, <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden you realize that uh, we're leaving at 6 o'clock, we've got to get to the plane, and somebody's not there. I did, I did have a player, uh, not, not a player, excuse me, I had a coach. We, we made it very, in fact, I'll even tell you who it was. 
uh, uh, Heath Troyer, who we all know and love. And uh, we made it really clear that uh, we were going, we were flying to London, we're doing a tour, and uh, he, he and his wife were going to join us in, in Atlanta. And so we flew to Atlanta, we were going to fly to London, and they were going to meet us there because they were coming from another part of the country. And the last thing I said, okay, everybody, you got to be here at this time, this place, this circumstance, this situation. And uh, so I didn't expect it to be a coach. So we get in here, and all of a sudden I realize we're boarding the plane, and I have no idea where Heath is. And I'm calling him. I'm not getting an answer. You know, we're, I'm just kind of in a panic mode. And, uh, and, and so now, you know, you've got players. You know, coach, it's usually the guys that are doing it. It's not the coaches. Well, as it turns out, uh, he and his wife, knowing it was going to be a long flight, I think they decided to each take a half of an ambient. And so they fell dead asleep <laughs> in the Atlanta airport and missed their flight and uh, caught up with us a day later. But uh, that was kind of a unique situation uh, where, you know, we're supposed to be somewhere and we didn't. And that had actually happened with the coach. And we had a good laugh about it afterwards. And uh, I know it was a little embarrassing for Heath and his wife, but uh, everybody was safe and it, it worked out okay. But, you know, I mean, I, I think in, in this situation, obviously the, those players need to be talked to. And may, maybe it was an innocent mistake. I, I don't, I can't imagine it. I, I would imagine that every, there's barriers and everything there. Um, but, you know, if you can't, here's the little things. If you can't trust somebody to keep a simple rule like that, is that really a guy you want to be on the floor <laughs> getting a serious stop or putting the ball in his hands? It just hurts trust, and, and uh, it's not good for a team. I, don't get through it. It's a simple thing. And who's ever been in a quarantine situation like this anyway where you, you've got the bubble uh, it's it's unlike anything we've ever exposed. So I, I wouldn't be too harsh on them, uh, but I think there's a lesson learned and better learn early than late. Yeah, no question about that. I can recall, speaking of being late, I, I played high school baseball, and we had a game uh, in our region. Was, uh, it was about uh, two hours away in Prescott, Arizona. And so on a Saturday, we're going up there, and we're supposed to be at the bus, on the bus at a certain time. Well, I must have misheard the time. I pull in the parking lot, and I see the bus is standing there. I don't see anybody milling around the bus, and I got a queasy feeling in my stomach. And as I'm pulling up on the left side of the bus, all my teammates who were on that side of the bus, they had their hands out of the window and they had a certain finger that was extended because I was a half hour late. (laughs) And, and so I got, I got there and I go running up and the coach is looking at me and he knew by the look on my face that it was a 100% honest mistake. And I just screwed it up. Somehow I heard it wrong. And I'll never forget that, man, the panic that I had on my face. And the coach, all he could do was just kind of smirk because he knew that it was an innocent mistake. And certainly as a senior, I wouldn't have just, uh, well, I'm just going to show up whenever I get there. I mean, I wasn't all that as a player anyway. So I was grateful that the bus didn't leave because I would have missed that game. But uh, I can relate to that bonehead mistakes you say as we make as a kid. Now, I won't tell you about the time my older sister said don't take 
her new car to the lake, and I took it to the lake and got an accident. I won't even bring that part up. We'll just let hey, that story go. We all have go. a story like that. The thing that I wanted to... Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. The thing that I wanted to ask you... Okay. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about this Wojnarowski thing with uh, the comment. And, you know, you know him. I know him. And, man, from a journalistic perspective, to, to come to the defense of the league, I had an issue with that. You're supposed to cover the league and not be a part of its defense. Let the let the league defend itself. I realize he got sent the email, but it was more along the emails like uh, to let him know that that was happening. What did you make of all that? You know, you're right. I mean, I, I, I didn't really think a lot about it. I mean, you know, that, that's always kind of a touchy thing where, uh, and maybe you felt this, and you, you follow teams, both of you follow teams, and you, you end up... Uh, having a different relationship than, than I mean, you, you actually become part of their lives and part of their family. I and mean, when you're traveling with the team or you're around the players or you're around the coaches that much, uh, it, it doesn't surprise me that one would take a position or protect or do whatever they needed to do because of that long-term relationship. I'm, I'm not saying it's necessarily appropriate because the press and you know, the media need to be neutral and they need to go into that thing neutral. But everybody has their own biases. I'm sure you, you, there have been games that you watch, teams you follow, that uh, you were as emotionally invested in them. Uh, and, and you can't talk about it, really, you know, the disappointment or the circumstances or maybe there was bad calls. Um, and, and so, you know, I remember doing games. And, uh, and anyway, that was one of the difficult things, especially when I had a really good friend coaching and uh, to kind of try to be as impartial as I could and not, not get involved in personalities or get in circumstances. Because, and I didn't have a, a, a long career in that, but what, what, for the two or three years that I did TV and some of those things, those were things that were rather challenging to me uh, because it was hard for me, especially as a player and as a coach, and now doing this, to kind of separate myself from all of those entities where I had been a practices, I had already, you know, I'd coached against these guys. We had had dinner together, whatever the circumstances were. I, I found it a little difficult for me, and probably not for the professionals today. But we all do have uh, alliances and um, relationships with people and organizations that sometimes make it very difficult to be as impartial as we should be or to not necessarily support or condone things that we, we shouldn't probably be involved in. So I guess the thing would be that the reaction was just so over the top because I think people get what you say about there are relationships, but the reaction was, yeah, that was, well, that was, you're so far across the line, you can't even turn around yeah. and see the line. The line disappeared over the horizon. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you at all on that. And, uh, it's uh, and the two of you are are in tune with that daily. With with and, and it's probably, you know, I don't know if he's ever ever been in a situation like this before. Um, I don't know because I, I don't I don't have that history. I mean, I was around him a lot, um, and and he wasn't really a controversial guy. You know, I mean, he 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 was uh, kind of shared what he thought and felt, but. Uh, I never, I've never seen that in him before, uh, but hey, 
We all made mistakes. I'm sure you all could share a few stories with us, things that have yep. happened during your time. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, I will, uh, I got to tell you, I, I'm going to go back to something we, we were talking about before. Pat was talking about being late to a game. And uh, I can remember uh, as a junior, and I, you know, I went to UC Irvine and played down there, and I was living in Costa Mesa, which the quickest way for me to get to UCI was to get on the 405 and drive on the 405 uh, down down to Irvine and take take the exit off that. And, uh, and so I knew when I had to be there to be taped and this and that. And uh, what I hadn't remembered is to put gas in my car. And I can I can still remember driving to a game. It's you know the, the game time is at eight, and I'm leaving at six. I got plenty of time to get there on time. But all of a sudden, I pull over on 405, and you know how how busy that freeway is. There's no cell phones, you know, and and there was uh, dirt and stuff and fences, and then there were some homes, maybe a hundred yards. And I can still remember. I'm I'm in my warm-ups. Okay, I'm in my warm-ups. I'm in, I'm dressed. I'm ready to go. I actually haven't been taped. And I remember hurling that fence and knocking on the back door of of, of some uh, elderly lady. And, and, and first of all, I just scared the living daylights out of her. But but it was one of those things that here's a guy coming over her back fence, and I said, you know, I've got a situation. I explained the whole deal, and she, God bless her, allowed me to make a phone call. Uh, on her on her home phone there, and I called I called the the basketball office, and somebody came and got me, and I had left the car there. And when the game was over, we came back and got some gas in it. So I I tried to do all the right things and and be on time, and uh, but the circumstances didn't allow it when I didn't have gas in my vehicle. So that was a pretty panicky time, especially jumping out of that car and jumping over the fence over 405 down there in Orange County. So we we've all done some things that. Uh, <laughs> they don't really make sense, but life happens, right? That it does. There's no doubt about that. I remember <laughs> I was riding with a friend when I was in high school, and I I think we'd been playing basketball, actually. I'm not sure. And we're on the freeway, and the, the car just comes chugging to a, a stop, and the guy, he was a good guy, but he, he could be an airhead and a bonehead. And I'm like, Gavin, did we just run out of gas? He goes, no, we got to have a tank. I don't know what it is. And it was uh, oil, and the engine had seized up. And he had to call his dad to come and get us. And, man, did I feel like an uncomfortable third wheel during that conversation. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's it's funny how we all have similar experiences. And uh, uh, you'll have to remind me to share something with you off the air. (laughs) Oil on an engine and not getting over the grapevine. And the last thing my my father says, do not let... Chet drive. You were the only one to drive the car. I was asleep in the passenger seat. He was driving, and there was smoke coming everywhere. So I have a similar experience. (laughs) (laughs) I'm wondering, you know, we've seen the uh, reduction of uh, football schedules with these teams going to conference only, and I've heard some, uh, it hasn't been further discussion, but I just, I heard some in passing that basketball might do that, and I'm thinking with the, 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 uh, West Coast Conference, you know, teams like Gonzaga and BYU, they rely a lot on a very good non-conference schedule to carry them as far as getting a good seating. Uh, how big of a blow would it be to the West Coast if they just if teams if conferences just did conference only in basketball also? Well, it'd be a huge blow because you get to that tournament, 
either by winning the tournament <clears throat> or by developing a schedule and having a body of work that reflects <clears throat> playing teams from around the country. And, and, and certainly that would be a devastating blow. I, I, I'm, I'm a little nervous here. I mean, I'm living in California. Um, Governor Newsom came out again yesterday and just locked everything down. I mean, one of the biggest challenges right now in California is schools, what to do with schools. And I have a good friend who's on a school board here in Clovis, and eight school boards got together last night, 200 people in a Zoom meeting trying to figure out when they're going to start school. you got parents who are scared to death about sending their children to school and, and what might happen there. And they're scared to death of what to do when I'm both parents, you know, are working. And what do I do with my children? How do I take care of them? I mean, this that's a monster issue for families right now in California. I don't know how it is other places. And then then you start hearing, you know, about California state schools. Um, and 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 Governor Newsom has the ability to take a lot of the WCC and say, you know what, we're not doing anything until this time. And uh, because they're all part of this state of 50 million people where it is spiking and going up and the virus is just off the charts and hospitals are getting full again. Um, it's going to be really, really tricky. And, and I, I know that's probably not the case in Utah and Idaho or in Rocky Mountain area, but I'm telling you right now, the tone of Governor Newsom's voice was, we're shutting it down. And, and until this thing changes, I, I know that the virus is that the vaccines are closed. I, I read all of the articles about, you know, it's going to happen. But I will be really, really surprised if COVID-19 doesn't impact the basketball season. And, and as you mentioned, it may be, maybe it's just non-conference games. Uh, but then again, who knows? I mean, it, it, I just know I speak for this state. Uh, if anybody's going to do it, they are. And they've already, all the Division Two schools have already, uh, you know, kind of, shut down everything we know when does that happen for division one programs or even for uh you know even for football mountain west conference seems to be going forward but uh they may be playing with nobody in the stands if that if that's the case because right now people haven't figured out you know i mean as soon as they started letting people come into restaurants again you know and i went i went out and i went i went to two restaurants to try to get in stuck my head in and it, it looked like pro in a pre-COVID-19. I mean, people over there in, in the bars and the restaurants, packed. Everybody's kind of celebrating, happy to have life back. And then there's a 10% rise in, in, in deaths and in, in uh, new COVID cases in, in California. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think we're out of the woods. At least, at least speaking from my perspective of living in the state of California, I think all of it could be impacted. And I, is there any football games that like a BYU plays from Mountain West Conference teams? Yeah, they, they play in San Diego State. They play Boise State and they play Utah State. Okay, so Utah State, Boise State may not be an issue because That's Idaho State, and yeah. Utah uh, things seem to be a little bit normal. I was just wondering if they played any others, but uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't hold my breath on California. Wait, I mean, I, I just think it's going to get worse before it gets better here in terms of decisions, and uh, you know, they just shut it all down again. And I don't, I, I know church wise. Nobody is going to church, but they said they shut all the church situations down again. Restaurants, you know, parks, everything has got shut down. So, uh, yeah, my feeling is it's going to be really problematic and really difficult to determine on who's NC2A worthy uh, when you don't have an off season and you're playing a league that's, you know, not a P5 
conference, and typically, you know, three quarters of the league isn't going to postseason. So that could be really, really difficult. And I think, obviously, BYU seems to be situated uh, to have a really good year. And um, but if if it all comes down to just the Mountain West Conference, uh, excuse me, to the uh, WCC, then uh, it, it could be more difficult. It's certainly going to make it more difficult. So I do believe if it under normal circumstances that this is a team probably going to get back to the NCAA tournament. Well, Steve, we appreciate the time and the thoughts. Thanks for coming on, and we'll talk to you again yeah. next week. All right, guys. Take care. Have a good week. Steve Cleveland, our basketball and life insider. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next.